0: Farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking about uh, naturopathic and integrated pediatrics. That's actually the title of a very encyclopedic textbook that today's guest has written Um, really a labor of love, very comprehensive. It takes you right through uh, all the phases of childhood, all manner of uh, challenges uh, that your kids and grandchildren might face. Uh, And it's a great resource for health practitioners. I recommend it very highly. Um, So uh, Dr. Salomonian, by the way, is associate professor at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto, where she practices at the neighborhood clinic. And so um, thanks for taking time out of your busy day, seeing patients, to discuss kids' health with us. So what, the fundamental question that I think parents face is, do kids really need to take nutritional supplements? You know, we have these little gummy bears, you know, um, you know kids' multis. Uh, we're constantly bombarded with recommendations that kids take more calcium for strong bones and vitamin D and then, of course, uh, fish oil to make their brains work better. Uh, necessary, or is it superfluous, in your opinion?
1: Good question. I am a uh, quite a minimalist when it comes to supplementation. I do think that most children... Require regular vitamin D and fish oil supplementation And the reason for this is that these are two nutrients that we tend to be deficient in as a culture So just based on our indoor lifestyle our diligence around applying sunscreens particularly to children Everybody's deficient in vitamin D particularly north of certain latitudes mm-hmm. and you know in Canada where you practice a- yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I always recommend vitamin D for all children. And fish oil, you know, if you look at some of the literature on historical diets, I mean, I always think about a lot of evolutionary reasons for why our bodies do what they do. And and we evolved eating a very different kind of diet than we eat currently. So we have omega-6 and omega-three essential fatty acids. And the proportion of those two should be weighted heavily to the omega-3s. Those are the more anti-inflammatory precursors, whereas the omega-6s are more of the pro-inflammatory. And we need both, absolutely. But our modern diet has shifted quite a bit, so there's a heavier emphasis on the omega-6s. and that From cooking
0: oils and so on.
1: Cooking oils, soy oils, all of these different kinds of By
0: the way, highly recommended by the uh, American Heart Association, last time I checked, and American Diabetes Association. I tell you to get rid of the butter, and use uh, yeah. vegetable oil instead.
1: Right, right. So it depends which vegetables we're talking about here. One of the important things to note with omega-3s, though, is that getting omega-3s from a plant source isn't really a a very effective way of getting that nutrient in. They're more in a a short-chain form. Like flax oil is is, is poorly converted. Absolutely recommend people having it. But it's not giving us the EPA and the DHA, which are the the variants of omega-3s that are present in in fish, particularly things like salmon and mackerel and so on. So I, I do strongly recommend that all children be on a good quality. And I say that because, of course, we have... An abundance of contamination of our of our oceans, and so making sure it's third party tested to be clean of, of environmental toxins like mercury, um, and and do that on a daily basis. So those are the only two I recommend routinely. Uh, certainly, we know that the quality of soil uh, that our food is grown in gets depleted, particularly with industrial agricultural practices. So. That's a tricky one. There's no good evidence that I've seen that says a multivitamin does anything, mm-hmm. so I'm not a big advocate of those, but I also don't think they cause harm, and if it makes a, a parent feel reassured that their child's getting those nutrients, especially if they're- Perhaps a child has
0: a them. medical condition or a picky diet, sure. uh, something yeah, like that. Yeah, picky
1: diet. And of course, if there's a medical condition, that's a totally different situation mm-hmm. because cystic fibrosis, for example, or celiac, we know that there are multiple nutrient deficiencies there. So that's a different thing. But for a, an otherwise healthy child, um, ideally, they're eating a healthy diet. Ideally, we're working with the family to optimize nutritional intake, um, you know, in terms of the calcium in the bones. That brings up a whole big discussion around dairy boards and is dairy a necessary mm-hmm. food group and all these other questions. I to answer my own question i don't think it is but i also don't think a calcium supplement is necessary there are studies that tell us and i'm, I'm glad you raised it because people often think of osteoporosis as a mm-hmm. disease of old age but it's really a disease of, of childhood mm. you know we reach peak bone mass in our 20s and so we have to build them up before that mm-hmm. so you know there's studies that show us that fruits and vegetables independent of any calcium content is a predictor of strong bones in childhood mm. so Really just getting kids outside, getting them doing weight-bearing activities, swinging from the monkey bars, jumping off the slide. All of the risky outdoor activities that kids are prevented from doing these days are the very things that are going to build their bones. So I, I'm a big, big advocate of, of kids moving their bodies, getting outside, making decisions, taking risks, eating whole foods. And generally, if they're doing all of those things, they don't need what's in the bottle.
0: Indeed. Are there any... Herbs that adults take mm-hmm. that maybe kids shouldn't. You know, we have so many mm. opportunities to take things, and by and large, they're safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there some kind of differential where kids maybe we, we shouldn't expose kids to certain things that we take as adults?
1: Yeah, that's a it's an interesting way that you phrase that. I, I hadn't really thought about it from that angle. I usually talk about herbs that are safe Mm -hmm, and childhood. mm -hmm. Um, And it's also a tricky question for me to answer because I work so much with kids that I don't tend to think about the toxic herbs in adulthood. And Mm -hmm. frankly, I think that my work with adults has been influenced by that so i tend i tend to use generally safe herbs across the board okay so of course there are herbs like Raulfia, for example which is a controlled substance in some jurisdictions blood pressure yeah right absolutely Mm -hmm. you know you want to be very careful about things like that one of my favorite herbs is poke root or phytolaca Mm -hmm. it's a lymphatic support and and i love that herb but it can be toxic so I still use it in children, but I use it in an adjusted dose. So Mm -hmm. I use only small amounts of it according to their weight and and when it's indicated. So if if a parent is choosing to use a particular herb in a child, I would say be cautious with that. I Mm -hmm. generally don't advise parents medicate their children with herbs. I think there's this idea that they're safe because they're natural. But I'm comfortable using Mm -hmm. pretty much anything if it's indicated as long as I've adjusted the dose.
0: So a couple that are are controversial, you know, kids often have sleep problems and parents are tempted to give them melatonin. And I've 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 actually heard arguments both ways that melatonin Mm -hmm. is something that you shouldn't give kids and other people say it's perfectly fine. It works great and it's much preferable to prescription medications or over-the-counter medications to get kids to sleep. So what's your take?
1: Yeah, so melatonin is an interesting one. So there's quite a good number of studies that look at the use of melatonin in kids with autism. So particular population, there seems to be good evidence. I haven't seen as much research on melatonin in use with other kinds of children. So, you know, neurotypical children and so on. Um, My thing with melatonin though, is that there are lots of reasons why a child or an adult's melatonin levels are low. And that has a lot to do with exposure to dim light at night has to do with exposure to screens before mm-hmm. bed.
0: I so always used to have a night light in my in my room. Exactly. I I had a fear of darkness until I was yeah. I was going to say 22. No, actually until <laughs> I was about 4, I think.
1: and you know my suggestion for that is put a red bulb in the night light. Mm-hmm. That's so better. it's enough to it's okay. enough to see by, but it's not so much to suppress melatonin. So, the first step I would take before giving a child melatonin is actually working with the family to create a darker sleep environment to reduce screen exposure before bed Um, and there are other supplemental health products that are very effective and safe for children before bed that aren't melatonin and aren't pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. so one of my favorites is l-theanine it's a a Mm -hmm. amino acid it's often available in a a very tasty chewable form um, and it's quite safe for children so Mm -hmm. i'll I'll typically go to that before i'll suggest Mm -hmm. melatonin Um, And then talk to the family about the sleep environment and and darkness.
0: And, of course, uh, there's a big uh, craze about uh, CBD. And we're, you know, here on Intelligent Medicine, we're big fans of CBD. But the question arises, Mm -hmm. is CBD appropriate for kids? You know, kids that are maybe, uh, you know, very anxious or kids who can't Mm -hmm. sleep or kids who Mm -hmm. uh, act out. uh, You know, what's your take on introducing that at a young age? (laughs)
1: I'm laughing because in Ontario, I'm restricted from saying anything about CBD. Oh, but here okay. Um, so what I'll say about CBD is there's good evidence for its use in children under certain circumstances. So epilepsy is a good example um, where there's a fair amount of literature that demonstrates yep. its use. And not not it's not that I'm totally hung up on is it safe? Is it effective? Although that's important. But just the fact that somebody has taken the time to to test it. And so that's part of my concern with CBD. I know most of the, the concerns are around THC. Anecdotally, I have patients, I didn't prescribe it, but mm-hmm. who are taking CBD or having their kids take mm-hmm. CBD mm-hmm. for things like pandas and so on. So certainly it, it seems to be emerging as a potentially helpful therapeutic option. I just haven't seen enough data on mm-hmm. it to really a strong position.
0: Of course, there's a virtual epidemic of childhood mental disorders, yes. uh, anxiety, depression, uh, yes. bipolar, which was really unheard of until about, uh, 15 or 20 years ago among children. It, it's become a whole category, uh, for diagnosing kids and then placing them on powerful medication, not to mention attention deficit disorder. So you address that in your, uh, in your text. Um, there are better options than pharmaceutical remedies, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, we have to think about the the causes. So we know that the way children are raised, what they're exposed to in the way of social media. I, I really, I mentioned this earlier, the the helicopter parenting, not allowing children out <laughs> to, to take risks and make their own decisions, I really do think that that's contributed substantially to the epidemic of mental health issues, 100%. Um, But in terms of strategies, so for adolescents in particular, which is when we see these things start to emerge, a lot of the, the cognitive behavioral style therapies are really helpful for adolescents to help them reframe their thoughts, reframe their worries in a way that's more helpful and constructive and productive for them. So that's often a place that I would go. Um, In terms of depression, certainly there are herbs that that help to increase serotonin levels in the brain, and and that's worth exploring with young people. I I tend to do more of the, the talk therapy first. We know that fish oil does have some moderate benefit. Physical activity, adequate sleep, a lot of those basic pillars of health in terms of anxiety, uh, there's lots of beautiful herbs that are very, very helpful for anxiety and very, very safe. So these are herbs that I use in you know, early childhood. You mm-hmm. know, we were talking about infections earlier. So a child who's really wound up because their ear hurts, sometimes taking a, a nervine herb like catnip or chamomile or lavender mm-hmm. can be just what it takes to help settle them down so their perception of pain isn't so acute. And so kids are, are more
0: aspect. sensitive than adults, so it's more likely you'll elicit a response. In oh, a, a child is. than in an adult who perhaps has been accustomed to powerful sure. medications and yeah. is kind of jaded in terms of their responses.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, and those same herbs work really, really beautifully in an adolescent, in, in an adolescent who's struggling with anxiety around school or relationships and so on. So I find the use of those herbs—they're not curative because it doesn't address the cause. But it helps to settle them enough so they're more equipped to engage in the work that's needed to be done around coping and and responding and reframing the thoughts that they're having. Because those conditions are both depression and anxiety, the most significant ones. They're really about unhelpful thoughts Mm -hmm. that young people having, and, and to give them an opportunity to navigate and explore that is, is really
0: important. And, of course, diet uh, plays a big role in oh, sure. mood, uh, as well as the microbiome. We're now becoming aware of the relation, the, the brain-gut interactions. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, we talked earlier about unnecessary antibiotics. I, I certainly feel very strongly about that in terms of the need for antibiotic stewardship with respect to the microbiome. But lifestyle, again, has a huge influence on the microbiome. So we know when kids are eating a really processed diet, they're not able to sustain a healthy uh, microbial population. So absolutely, lots of fiber, lots of prebiotics, lots of brightly colored fruits and vegetables, minimal sugar, minimal processed foods. These are all incredibly important, not only for mood. I mean, if a a young person's susceptibility is towards mental health issues, then when their microbiome goes skewy, that's the thing that's going to show up. If their susceptibility is allergies, if their microbiome goes screwy, that's the thing that's going to show up. So across the board, we need to, to enhance healthy uh, microbiome populations in kids. But that starts prenatally. I mean, that, that starts with, you know, the, the way um, the pregnant person is, is taking care of themselves, the method of birth and, and whether or not the child's breastfed and their exposure to antimicrobials early on in life, whether through diet or pharmaceuticals or hand sanitizers.
0: And on a parallel track, we have uh, an epidemic of childhood obesity, fatty liver, even type 2 diabetes. Yes. Uh, and that's very concerning.
1: It is alarming, 100%. We used to call that adult diabetes. Yep. Remember that? <laughs> it was
0: AODM, adult onset diabetes. Now we just call it type 2 diabetes because we know it can affect uh, uh, even children and pre adolescents. Right,
1: yeah. But you know, it's, it's, it for me comes always down to the same principles. If a child is getting enough sleep, if a child is moving their body, if a child is eating a healthy diet, (laughs) if they're able to make healthy decisions for themselves, a lot of the epidemics that we see, really the non-communicable diseases will, will melt away. And so we know that obesity is complicated by an unhealthy microbiome. We know that obesity is complicated by excess sedentary time. The last report in Canada that I saw Something like 7% of children aged 5 to 16 were getting adequate physical activity throughout the day. Of course we have an obesity epidemic. So to me that's a much broader conversation than just what I Mm -hmm. as an athletic doctor can advise a family. We have to look at advertising, we have to look at- It's a
0: societal problem, yeah.
1: It's a societal problem, 100%. So that's a big reason why I do things like write textbooks because I feel like if I, I mean, I can only do so much in my office. I can only Mm -hmm. do so much for individual families. But I have a much bigger impact if I can have conversations like the one we're having now. And if, you know, a a politician is listening, if a teacher is listening, then there's potential for that ripple effect to happen because you and I are not going to tackle the obesity epidemic on our own. You and I are not going to tackle the mental health crisis on our own. So we have to engage and educate and and advocate within the broader community and society to make those changes happen.
0: Indeed. Uh, So, It's uh, summertime, as uh, we record it, and uh, you're finally thawing out there uh, (laughs) uh, above the 48th parallel. And uh, so we're now beset by uh, bugs, by the specter of Lyme disease, by uh, mosquitoes, and those Mm -hmm. horrible black flies that uh, I seem to remember from uh, up there in Canada, that Mm -hmm. biting black flies that just chase you. I once uh, was up in... (laughs) ontario and I, I literally had to jump into into the water to evade them yeah. um so it, we a big problem we're recognizing more and more that kids are much more susceptible to environmental chemicals in particular pesticides uh are there some natural alternatives that you might propose
1: yeah sure so there was a study i just saw recently i'm afraid i can't cite it for you but there was a comparison between lemon eucalyptus oil and deet and lemon eucalyptus oil performed just as well Um, Essential oils topically aren't a terrific thing on kids' skin either. I mean, kids. one of the reasons kids are so susceptible to toxins is their skin and all of their barriers are really permeable. So we don't want to be slathering them with essential oils either. Mm -hmm. But when it's in a carrier oil, so in the book, I have a recipe for a natural uh, insect repellent. Um, so lemon eucalyptus oil is a good option. Citronella is a good option. Um, the data again is insufficient to say that those strategies are just as effective as DEET, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for all kinds of biting arthropods. It, it, if you're going
0: into sense. the deep woods, you know, maybe yeah. you just got to bite the bullet for <laughs> those occasions. Yeah.
1: yeah. Exactly. So then that brings up the other piece. I mean, just avoiding the exposure. As you mentioned earlier, I've spent time in Peru and Kenya. So having mosquito nets, avoiding dawn and dusk. Having long sleeves, you know, those strategies are just as important for kids as they are for adults. We don't really want to put anything topical on someone under six months. So in those cases, you really just want to protect them with a, with a mosquito net. Um, and that's often the best strategy. People say that taking B vitamins is uh, protective, but I haven't had that experience. And I've spent a
0: lot of time with kids. <laughs> as a, uh, as a mosquito magnet, I will uh, attest to the fact that it doesn't work. You can take all right. the thiamine <laughs> in the world and it just that's doesn't, right. doesn't seem to do the trick. Um, so, uh, and finally, the I think possibly the biggest threat to our uh, young generation, screen time. Uh, do you have some views on, on screen time and what parents do. can do around that issue? Because sure. it's a very contentious issue because uh, I have young kids in my family and uh, the screens are literally, they're like crack for the kids. Yes, they, they are, are so good. enticing.
1: Mm-hmm. And I I will own, I have two teens, a tween and a teen, and they are just as addicted as anybody else's. So I don't want to come across as that. Yeah, this, uh,
0: yeah a I mean, it's, uh, it's inevitable. Yeah,
1: It's impossible to avoid. And and I just, I want to disagree on one point. I think the biggest crisis that we face actually is climate change. Mm-hmm. I think that okay. that is a huge issue affecting our kids, and that's part of what creates anxiety. So, so that's something I feel very strongly about, and it's our kids who are going to deal with the fallout from that. But back to screens. Um, one of the things that I recommend is avoiding any exposure to screens, if at all possible, until the kid is begging for it. <laughs> and so using screens with, you know, a, a toddler to entertain them in in the grocery store to me yeah is i see it all the time child abuse yep. like it, it, i know that strong language but right. we know the effect it has and once kids got it you said it's like crack yep. it's really hard to break the habit so like little little uh, 2
0: year olds like fixated on their iPads uh okay. in restaurants you know the parents are having totally. a conversation the kids like zombied out on their iPad.
1: Zombies. And and really what should be happening in that situation is the parents should be engaging with the child. And that's how kids learn and develop. That's how they learn Mm -hmm. social cues. It's how they learn ethics. It's how they learn their views on politics. It's participating in those conversations. And so I am an enormous advocate of including kids in everyday life, exposing them to the the messy, the dirty, but talking about it. And so one of my biggest recommendations for screens, of course, avoid always out of the bedroom. Never, never, never should mm-hmm. there ever be screens right. in a child's bedroom or in adults, but definitely not in child's. Sometimes it works to earn screen time. So, you know, if the kids are doing physical activity, they earn half that amount of time as, as a screen time or something if that has to happen. Um, but really it's about talking about what the kids are seeing. So the worst thing I see is when kids are using screens as a babysitter, or if teens are using a screen as escapism, and there's no conversation about what they're consuming. So one of the best pieces of advice I have around that is active co-consumption. And if a parent doesn't want to sit down and watch Dora the Explorer, Mm -hmm. then it shouldn't be on at all. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, there's no opportunity to help that child Mm -hmm. make sense of what they're seeing. You know, my 11-year-old wants to watch Riverdale, And I'm not interested in watching Riverdale, and I don't think it's appropriate for her to be watching Riverdale, so my answer is no. But I'll watch something else with her that we can then discuss and talk about and make sense Mm -hmm. of for her. So I think there's value in consuming media because it helps us to question and analyze Mm -hmm. and critique. Developing that information literacy is really, really
0: important. It's also the world that they will emerge into and that they have to be uh, uh, conversant with it and facile with it. I mean. some some of the best surgeons are 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 kids who grew up uh playing computer games because sure. uh, with uh, the advent of uh uh of uh minimal you know laparoscopic surgery uh, sure. they're literally using robotic devices to you know with screens to probe the body and remove organs
1: Absolutely. And I think there's value for curating what kids are consuming. So what I object to is the blind, here's the iPad, occupy yourself while I have this conversation. Mm -hmm. To me, that's doing the child a disservice in multiple multiple ways. So if the screen use is curated, if it's used deliberately, if it's an opportunity for conversation and the development of media literacy, then there's value to that. It's a tool. I see it as a tool. So if families can utilize screens as a tool and not as uh, escapism, Distraction, not as a babysitter. I think that there's value there, but of course that's going against the flow of everything our culture tells us to do. Um, so I think in in that case, the restriction is necessary.
0: Indeed. All right. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I know you have a busy schedule in the Mm -hmm. office, uh, seeing patients up there in Toronto. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so uh, once again, let's mention the text. It's naturopathic and integrative pediatrics. Uh, just, uh, you know, I'll admit to not, you know, I usually try to read every book. (laughs) <laughs> uh prior to every interview. But it was a, it would be a daunting task to uh imbibe all eight hundred pages of this uh, very encyclopedic book. Uh so I, I, I skimmed it and uh I'm gonna I'm gonna cull out important chapters that are relevant to uh the kids in our family. So thank you so much for writing it. It was a labor of love, monumental task. Uh but uh you seem none the worse for wear. Which is great. <laughs> now,
1: now I've
0: Good. All right. Uh, so, and that book available uh, from your website, which is mm-hmm. uh, Les Lesliecom Leslisolomonian.com. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us, and all the best to you. I hope your paths cross uh, at uh, one of the upcoming conferences that we Wonderful. both attend. And um, I look forward to hearing more of your stuff. So I'll Wonderful. follow you on your... I'll follow you. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Ronald Hoffman. As you know, this is a vital time to bolster our immune defenses. I've received countless requests for a specific list of supplements that I recommend to support immune health. That's why I've created the Intelligent Medicine Immune Support Protocol. My supplement recommendations offering the greatest boost for your immune system when it's needed most. Best medicine is preventive medicine. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com for more information. drhoffmanstore.com In addition to the immune support protocol, you'll find easy-to-follow links for our supplement starter kit, heart health protocol, and much more. These protocols are an easy way for you to get the exact combination of targeted supplements you need to help you follow the intelligent medicine lifestyle. The same supplements I take for myself and prescribe for my patients. And for a limited time, You'll get free priority shipping on all of your store orders. For more details, just go to drhoffmanstore.com. That's drhoffmanstore.com.